Okay, so for the sake of the recording, I will begin by saying that this is the first of uh, three sessions, three session series of trying to get through the teaching of uh, Bodhidharma by Red Pine. And I um, also want to say that uh, this book, some of you have read part of it, uh, this book goes through question and then an answer and then another question and uh, lengthy answers. And uh, in this case, there is no particular person that is asking the question uh, as in the case of some of uh, the Buddha's uh, writings or texts, we call this text. Um, in this case, the question is put out just so it opens up a discussion. Right? So it's not any particular person asking it. So what I want to do is read a little bit. I've highlighted a bunch of things that I found uh, very relevant to us and that we can dive into. I'm going to read a little bit and then maybe ask a question or open it up. All right, so I am right now outline of practice, the beginning, after the introduction. So many roads lead to the path. But basically, there are only two. Reason and practice. Two ways to enter the practice. The path. To enter by reason means to realize the essence through instruction and to believe that all living beings share the same true nature, which isn't apparent because it is shrouded by sensation and delusion. Those who turn from delusion back to reality who meditate on walls, the absence of self and other, the oneness of mortal and sage, and who remain unmoved even by scriptures, are in complete and unspoken agreement with reason. Without moving, without effort, they enter, we say, by reason. So to enter by reason, to understand, right, to, to dive into it, whether it's through reading, whether it's through listening, uh, whether it's through walking around, looking at a bird lying in the sky, or feeling intense pain at times, to realize we are upside down, as the Buddha said, and then to turn it, to turn it, so to turn from delusion back to reality, to turn from being upside down to right side up. So this is to enter by reason. Now, he keeps going from that point to the second, to enter by practice, right? The second way to enter. And this refers to four all-inclusive practices, suffering injustice, adapting to conditions, seeking nothing, and practicing the Dharma. Now, the first one, suffering injustice. When those who search for the path encounter adversity, they should think to themselves, in countless ages gone by, I've turned from the essential to the trivial and wandered through all manner of existence, often angry without cause and guilty of numberless transgressions. Now, though I do no, no wrong, I am punished by my past. Neither gods nor men can foresee when an evil deed will bear its fruit. I accept it with an open heart and without complaint of injustice. 
the sutras say, when you meet with adversities, do not be upset, because it makes sense. With such an understanding, you are in harmony with reason, and by suffering injustice, you enter the path. So, let's take this and try to unpack it a little bit. There's a lot there. So, Keiji, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, what do you think, what do you think the meaning of now I do no wrong, I am punished by my past. Although I am not doing something right now to cause it, I am punished by my past. It sounds uh, like we're doomed, right? Yeah. But what's the meaning here? I'm not quite sure where to start. I mean, I think... Um, Although I do no wrong, I'm punished by my past. I, I think it has something to do with, even though, um, even though there's no avoiding doing wrong, right? Living in the world, being who we are, right? Mm -hmm. Just normal functioning. We're punished by, you know, um, our past, actions, our past thoughts, our past um, conceptualizations. Um, so, but we can't avoid it, right? So the, the point is that you can't avoid being punished by your past. You're, um, yeah. Okay, we can't avoid it because we live, we live and, and function within karma, within right. causation, right? right. We, we are not, uh, what we're practicing is not a way to get out of causation, right? But a way to understand that causation is what we are, who we are, right? We are that. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to step away from it or ignore it, mm -hmm. right? And you remember Hyakujo's and Hyakujo and the Fox, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you mostly, I think most people here know that when uh, Hyakujo was asked, is a realized person uh, free of causation, free of karma? He said, a realized person does not ignore causation. To not ignore causation is to know that, again, the word punished is, is uh, I think it brings up connotations that, are, that not necessarily belong to, to what he's trying to uh, point at. But punished here is causation, is I am, there's no way to escape, for example, you know, I mean, just a simple uh, example of um, you did some, you took some loans and now you have to repay them, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way to get out of it. You have to do it, right? Whether it's a student loan or whatever it is, you know, now you have to pay it. Mm -hmm. So is that a punishment? It could be felt like that. It could be seen like that, right? From a perspective of not understanding, from a perspective of, of, of separation, I am punished. I am punished. Mm -hmm. But with the right understanding, not seeing a separate eye, who is punished? Where is the punishment? Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so now, although I do no wrong, I am punished by my past. Now he said that another God, no man can foresee when an evil deed will bear its fruit. Right? We don't know anything. We don't know what this, even even what we're doing now, we don't know what this will bear. We may think, well, we're doing something good that will have good outcomes, right? We sit, we practice, we uh, maybe adhere to some precepts and we think, well, that will bear good fruit as opposed to 
not being here and maybe sleeping in and, you know, like some other people who are not here, uh, we think, well, that will bear negative fruits, but not necessarily. How, how can we know that? How can we know what will happen? What will be the outcome of our actions? Right? Not knowing, actually, is, is, is freedom. Not knowing. And it frees us to pay attention to this and to reside in this without expecting anything else to happen. Right? With an open heart, without complaint of injustice, when you meet adversity, do not be upset because it makes sense. It makes sense. How does it make sense? How does it make sense? Yeah, what does it mean by it makes sense? Because don't be upset because it makes sense. Well, when you don't clean up after yourself and you stub your toe on it, it makes sense because you forgot to clean it up before. Okay, what about things that we, we, we experienced in the past in our childhood, which we all had, all kinds of experiences, which we can say, well, they have scarred us and now I am like this because of what happened in the past. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not. So what is he saying in regards to past? What makes sense? Hmm. Well, I was going to say something about attachment. Okay. To punishment. And How viewing so? it as punishment. Um, I was going to say the, the view that we are being punished is because of our attachment to what is happening. Mm -hmm. Not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to go through this suffering, right? But we, we encounter suffering and our attachment to um, this concept of punishment is what makes us suffer. Instead of saying, well, you know, when the clouds come, it rains. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. <laughs> so when you when you sow something in the past, or somebody else sows it for like, for example, you you mentioned parents. I, I could mention mm -hmm. a lot about my past, and I could say that I'm I'm scarred by my past, mm -hmm. and um, I'm being punished somehow for it. I'm stuck in it. But if I if I see it as a matter of course or the blindness of people who raised me and their blindness and their um, attachment to their own suffering, mm. then I don't need to see this as a punishment, but as a, an experience. And that makes sense because yeah. things did happen. So if I feel something, for example, if I'm triggered, mm. if I'm triggered by something, right, and it reminds me of an old pain, it makes sense because this was in a way embedded at some point, right? It was embedded, so then it comes back. But the point is, how do I free myself at that moment rather than say, well, I'm going to feel this way and then because of that, I'm going to act this way, say these things and keep perpetuating it. What he's saying is to realize that it makes sense that you would feel this way does not mean that you have to act this way. That you have to keep reacting this Right. Way. So to feel a victim doesn't mean you are a victim. Mm -hmm. It's a huge difference between feeling like a victim or having feelings of victimhood 
And then saying, well, you know, that's not true. Not that, not that the feelings are not true, but the feelings do not represent reality. Truth. Right. The feeling is The truth is free, free of my feelings. It's freed of my feelings. Doesn't mean I'm not feeling. It doesn't mean there are no feelings. Doesn't mean there's no contraction, inner contraction, or anger, or whatever. It doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you meet adversity, do not be upset. Or when you're upset, don't be upset that's a about being upset. That's a hard one. Right. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't be upset that you feel upset. But does this not also link back to the, to the first part, right? So, you know, when you meet adversity, don't be upset because it makes it. Well, I mean, I mean, isn't life adversity on some level? I mean, is it, we can't avoid adversity. So, of course, it makes sense. We're alive, right? Right. And we're we're in a world full of adversity, of yeah. One sort of another. So, don't be upset by it. How can you be? I mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To have a body is to suffer. He's right. saying that later on, right? To have a body is right. to suffer. To be alive is to encounter adversity. Right. Right. Because if you did not, you would not be alive. Right. <laughs> and that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's one choice, but it's not a preferred choice. <laughs> right. right. So, so to right, and adversities come in many forms, right? right? You know, but adversities, you know, to connect it with karma, adversities that we think, and, and people do think that they are punished by their past, well, that's why I am screwed up. You know, that's why I am not making that much money. That's why I am stuck. Mm -hmm. Or I feel the way I feel, right? And then, and then what do we do? What do we do? We keep perpetuating the same mm -hmm. state of mind. Mm -hmm. And we never get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right? We keep recreating the same uh, stage, basically. It's a revolving sword. Yeah, it doesn't, there's no way out of it. It's, it's, a, it's a loop. Mm -hmm. So to, to not be upset is, is a way out. Mm -hmm. Don't be upset. Right. To, me, I mean, to me, this is all about perspective. It's about how you look at it. It's about how you look at the reality. And it's also about how you look at the illusion. And for me, when, you, when I hear, um, you know, when you, when you meet with adversity, don't be upset. Um, this to me brings up you know, don't look at the problem, look at the solution type of situation. You know, um, for every problem there is a solution, so therefore there really are no problems, there are only solutions. And depending on how you look at it, if you focus on nothing but the problem, you get nothing but the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very easy to get upset with that. But if you look at the solution, if you look at what else is here, or how am I seeing this differently, or how can I see this differently, that brings about that feeling of freedom where now you can kind of step back and look at this mm -hmm. angle and not necessarily be upset, but see the growth or see the decision that needs to be made. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I see that in, in the passages before this and, and leading up to this as well. Yeah, and then later on he's actually going further and then he's saying neither the good nor the bad, neither the bad nor the good. It's not that you are trying to move from being pessimistic to being optimistic. That's still in the level of right. the mundane or what we know. He's actually transcending both. Mm -hmm. Right? Which is very important in Zen. Zen is not the practice of mindfulness so we can all feel good and hug each other. And that's not the point. Um, it's not about being at, becoming at peace with, with, and then walking around with a big smile all the time and you 
giddy. Right. It was, yeah, they're all, and that's why he's saying, by suffering injustice, you enter the... By suffering, you enter the path. Not by trying to make lemonade out of lemons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not the point. Mm -hmm. Not that this is good, but yeah. that's not the point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. suffering, there's a lot of, a lot of growth. Suffering when you suffer. If we open up to it. If we open up to it. Also, if we don't blame, if we don't identify with, I'm the one who is punished by whatever, right? Fill in the blank. I'm the one who's punished, and then, of course, that's going to bring up all kinds of emotions and animosity, right? Yeah. Anger, more anger. At the moment you're going through and you're feeling those emotions, yeah. you're attaching to the feeling that. You're being victimized by the situation, the circumstances, and everything. Um, I am a victim. And, and, and yeah, it feels very real. You know, it's charged with the emotions and everything else. But yeah. later on, when you when you step out and you, like George was saying, change the perception and stuff, you can see that there is something. You know, not only the, to accept it and to be okay with this, the, the, the pain and suffering for that moment, mm -hmm. um, to go through that moment of, of acceptance and growth, but to wait to what's coming from that growth, to discover, to be curious, what, what, is, what am I going to learn from this experience? What's going to come to me mm -hmm. from going through this pain and suffering? You know, what am I going to discover through it, you know? And sometimes you realize that, you know, when you're going through something, you don't feel like, oh my God, I don't think I'm strong enough to, to get through this situation. But then again, you get through it and you see like, wow, this is, you know, a, a good opportunity for growth instead of, oh my God, I'm a victim and the rest of my life is going to suck, you know? No, you, you, you go and you learn from the pain, from the suffering, accept it. Yeah, and then you have your understanding, yeah. you're in harmony. What happens when you take the eye out of suffering? What, what remains? When you take the eye out of the back pain, what happens? I mean, I think we experience it in, yes. in sitting, you know, right. that's why I'm bringing back pain. just pain. Yeah, the, no the, the pain doesn't go away. That was one of my biggest The eye goes away. In sitting for... Right, that's why I'm bring, I bring it up, because I think that many of us I've experienced that. Right. You know, especially in Sashin. And the funny thing is, is you can't experience it without the pain. No. <laughs> that, you have right. To have By the suffering pain of injustice. There for hours and hours and hours. And finally come to the realization that, okay, there's pain, but there's nothing I can do about it. So let it go, let it be, and you have this wonderful realization that wouldn't come without the pain. Right. So the eye is relieved, so to speak, right? Right. And then when the eye is not there, all there is is just that, and, and there is feeling of anger for it. feelings of anger, for example, right, or feelings of being screwed up, but screwed yeah. over, right. But it's not, it's not the eye. When the eye is not there, then all there is is that, and that, like anything else, fades away, right. and then that something else comes. Right. I was gonna say before, um, who's to say also in in light of all this that what what is just and what is in unjust what is what is just and what is unjust so suffering injustice how do you know it's injustice what if it is justice what if it is establishing some kind of balance and equality but that's why we're saying that What's we have happening? no way to know neither god nor man neither god nor man yeah. can know 
the fruit of our actions. We don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know that, you know, we can say, well, you know, because I did this and that, then now I'm paying the price. But, but he said it's a karma. He's saying that there's no way out. There's no way out of this. The way out is in. The way, the way to freedom is to recognize that we are, there is that. So You're not ignoring it. So that's my, that's how I'm thinking. Like, okay, if something happened to you and you say, oh, that, that's not fair, even though that I didn't did nothing right now, that I deserve that, you have to realize, okay, maybe right now, in this moment, in this time, <coughs> you did nothing, mm -hmm. but still something happened unfairness to you. So from where it's coming, it's supposed to come from somewhere. And I say it's coming from, let's say, karma, that not necessarily happened in this reincarnation, it's happened the other. And when it's come to you, don't be upset, accept that, realize that it's not because it's not fairness to you. This is what you have to learn and recognize that. That's, that's my perspective. Does it help you to recognize that? Yeah. yeah, and this is indication, oh good, it's happened to me. Now don't start bashing fair, not fair, or how I'm miserable. Okay, something happened because, doesn't matter why it's happened right now, but it's happened. Now let's work on that. Mm -hmm. so don't start saying, oh it's not fair. So and you recognize the freedom, you recognize the, the inherent freedom That's how I see that. that is not dependent on circumstances and conditions. Which also does not delete circumstances and conditions. Maybe if you're not going to realize it's going to delete something even worse. But if you realize and stop this process in this moment, not saying, oh how terrible it is, this is not fair, I was good right now. No, you're good. Congratulations. But you still have to clean but your still karma. But you're still suffering. So it's <laughs> you me. still have to clean your karma from past. <laughs> past the <laughs> so this is, in my perspective, that's how I'm thinking. Oh, good. Something happened. Good. It's happened. Don't feel sorry. It's the reality. Deal with that. Try to uh, not avoid that. Realize that. Work on that. But not saying, oh, that's not fair, I'm going to fight for unfairness of that. Don't fight that. Don't, so, 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 so the, the, in a way, the bottom line is do not identify with, to not create a story, to not add it to the storyline, perpetuate the story, no. to really just truly experience. And experiencing, uh, truly experiencing pain and suffering and adversities is a way to be free of adversities and pain and suffering. What he's saying. So I'm going to keep going just so we can, uh, and then it, it keeps going in the same vein. Second, adapting to conditions. As mortals, we're ruled by conditions, not by ourselves. All the suffering and joy we experience depend on conditions. If we should be blessed by some great reward, such as fame or fortune, it's the fruit of seeds planted in us by the past. When conditions change, it ends. Why delight in its existence? But while success and failure depend on conditions, the mind neither waxes nor wanes. Those who remain unmoved by the wind of joy silently follow the way. So, 
is he saying that we should not enjoy a good fortune and fame or whatever, or good feelings? What do you think? No. What is he saying? Right, you're not going to enjoy the suffering <laughs> necessarily, but you can still experience. You open up too, right? But what he's saying is that neither the highs nor the lows, it neither waxes nor wanes. Right? It doesn't change in essence. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we don't, we should not celebrate or feel good or experience that. And also, doesn't mean that we should reject. I mean, you remember the, from the Four Noble Truths, right? You know, the reason for suffering is attachment. To what? To what we want and to what we don't want. To run away from what we don't want towards what we want. And that's what he's saying here. In a way, uh, this is somewhat equivalent to the, the Four Noble Truths. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so, in different words. Right? So, while success and failure depend on conditions, which is true, again, causation. Right? It's true. He's not negating it. But then he's saying the mind neither waxes nor wanes and the freedom of, of uh, karma is to not, oh, by not uh, resisting it, or by not ignoring karma. By understanding, by, by studying uh, the, the, the law of causation, we are freed of causation. Any other... Comments or we move on. Okay. I think it's duality too. Yeah. You see the duality. Yeah. So let's say you are enjoying, mm -hmm. and let's hope it's going to continue forever. But it's not. But we know it's not. And yes. We know it's not. Right. So coming, let's say I don't want to use suffering, but yeah. not joy so much. Mm -hmm. So it's duality. In yang, have to all the time in balance. Yeah, and also when good, when good feelings come, it, they come with already sadness because we know it's, it's fading away. We know it's fleeting. You're on vacation, you're having a wonderful time in the back of your mind. How many hours before I got to go back to the grind? Yeah, or the Sunday blues. <laughs> right? I work on Monday. Right. I mean, and so, so <laughs> even, even what we call good feelings or good times, yeah. Even that already has the pain in it. Yeah. And the suffering is like, this is ending. And I'm ending. Yeah. So, how can we be free in that? Right? Third, seeking nothing. People of this world are deluded. Period. They're always, they're always longing for something. Always. In a word, you know, seeking. But the wise wake up. They choose reason over custom. They fix their minds on the sublime and let their bodies change with the season. This is beautiful, right? To fix your mind on the sublime and to let their body change with seasons, in a way, it's also what we practice in Zazen. Right? We, we, we fix our minds. We, we focus while pains come and go, thoughts come and go, seasons come and go. I mean, we see through everything. Right? Through the highs and lows. And then we learn to fix the mind on the sublime. That's what he's saying. He's just he's speaking different words, but he's saying, here is your zazen. How do you take the zazen into everyday life? How do you apply your zazen in your everyday actions? 
right? That's the, the challenge. This goes also back, I think, to the first um, opening paragraph, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, to enter by reason means to realize the essence through instruction and to believe that all living things share the same true nature, right? The and then, and then they, you know, they choose reason over custom, right? So, I, what I was struck by is that right at the outset, he's talking about two ways of entering the path, mm -hmm. reason and practice. Yeah. But it immediately becomes apparent that he's got a very different idea of what reason is. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it's something that is infused with belief. It's something that, that, that has all these other connotations on it that are beyond the way that we would think of logical reasoning. Yeah. yeah. And I think that comes up over and over again. So I think it's important that he's setting these two things apart as there's reason on one side, there's practice on the other, they are two different things, but he's already at the beginning sort of asking and sort of posing the question are, are they really different? What is reason? What is practice? You know, and, and it, it seems almost immediately that this notion that he has of reason is completely different than the way that we would normally think about it today. Yeah, yeah it's right. It's not. It's beyond logical it, reasoning. Right. right. It's right. not right. It's beyond that. It's pre-logic in a way, right. as, as Suzuki put it. Which is unreasonable. Which is not reason in a way. Right. It's, so it's a very different. He treats it as a hoax. The way he writes about it. It's not reason. <laughs> it well, it's a, it's a, it's a particular type of reason. It's a particular kind of reason. It's a particular kind of thinking. But it's different than the way that we think about it today in the world. Right. It's it's seeing reality as it is right. and allowing that to guide you. Right. right? But then, you know, and, and the connection, I think, is very important. Which, which you point out the connection, you can understand, you can realize, right. but then practice. You can practice and then realize. I right. mean, there's no, it's not choose between this or that. Right. You know, I mean, people actually do have realization, regardless of practice. They have, you know, other, whether it's a, an accident or right. some kind of a trauma or just because right. the conditions are, you know, met and all of a sudden there is realization. Yep. But if there's no practice after realization, it fades away. Right. Right? And, and the same with, with practice and realization. We practice and then the realization. But that leads to more practice anyway. Right. Right. So it's not one or the other. Right. But doesn't that first quote or first paragraph talk about this print of the mind? Is that what can you can you say about? that again? That first paragraph when yeah. you're talking about reason, yeah. he goes through and mentions a print of the mind, right? Is that what he's talking about? The mind is already imprinted with this reasoning? The it's thinking already, mind is already done. It's there. <laughs> and that people can tap into that. Yes. Like a, the mind like that includes all things. The mind the the the, the it's a different kind of mind. It's not the mind that we see, and I think this goes into what you're saying. It's not the mind that is in here as brains. It's the all-encompassing mind. I think in Japanese it's probably, you know, it's clearly I think, uh, expressed, yeah. right? More so than in English when we think about mind, right? Uh, shin, yeah. shin is hot is mind actually, right? Hot mind? Hot mind uh, is, is not here. In Japanese it's Hot mind, it's all encompassing. So sometimes the way that, I, that I've thought about it um, is that you can think of reason as understanding, 
or you can think of reason as standing under. Right? So we normally think of reason as, an, as understanding, these sort of this logical sequence of cause and effect, right? And you know, an understanding through our rational conceptual mind. I think Bodhidharma is pointing us in a different direction in terms of not understanding, but standing under, right? Sort of being, being there in the world, witnessing, observing, experiencing in a non-conceptual way. And I think, I think that's part of where he is directing us to go. And that practice is one means of getting there. Observing is another way of getting there. So there, there are different ways, but I think it's, to me, it's just so interesting how he starts off with this concept before he goes into all these different types of practice and these, these other ways of, of, of realizing it. Um, I think he's trying to set that up in a different way. It's a viable vehicle. It's a viable vehicle and it's a way to tap into. Mm -hmm. You can get it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to, you know, to sit mm -hmm. to get it. It's not about getting it. It's about actualizing right. it. Right. If we don't actualize it, the getting it is meaningless. Right. He's talking about very logical sequence. Let's keep going with that. You talk about the, the four ways. In the outline of practice, where we Yeah. Let's let's keep going through that and see if we can. We see if we can clarify it further. Mm -hmm. So they choose reason over custom. Reason, I mean, the way you know the way things are, right? The right understanding, the first of the eightfold path, the right understanding. But this is how it is. Not personal. It's not against, not for. It's just the way things are. They choose reason over cause. They fix their mind on sublime and let their bodies change with the season. All phenomena are empty. <clears throat> All phenomena are empty. They contain nothing worth desiring. Calamity forever alternates with prosperity. Right? Calamity always alternates with prosperity. Seasons change. Right? Leaves fall. Leaves, new leaves and flowers grow next season. To dwell in the three realms is to dwell in the burning house, uh, desire, form, and formlessness. Um, to have a body is to suffer. Does anyone with a body know peace? Those who understand this detach themselves from all that exists and stop imagining or seeking anything. The sutras say, to seek is to suffer. To seek nothing is bliss. When you seek nothing, you are on the path. So, what is to seek nothing? What does that mean? To be idle? To not aspire to anything? To not create and move towards any direction? What does it mean to not seek? Isn't that... Look, look at practice. I mean, we all enter the practice yeah, with, with, with some... I mean, you know, we, if we look, we can see that there, was some, there is some notion of I want to practice because I want to free myself. Right? I want to free myself. Is that wanting something? Well, then, if that's wanting something, then are we not seeking? And he's saying to seek nothing is bliss. To seek is to suffer. So how can we practice without making the practice another source of suffering? We're not attaching to it. We're not attaching to any to what? potential outcomes. To just doing it for the sake of doing it. We sit... Just to sit. There, there's nothing that comes from it except to sit. But let's take this practice, what we're doing, out, and let's put, we're talking about to real life. 
the real, real life. Because mm -hmm. this is as if this is. <laughs> <laughs> He means work family, that kind of yeah. <laughs> Let's say we are working right now. So what, we are not seeking for something? When we're going to work, yeah, we love work, we love to do what we're doing. Right, and it's you get something. gone from work. But then, but that's we're what not saying. seeking something there? Yes, like, but then even, in, even we are maybe denying that. Oh no, I'm going for fun. No, I, I think I think what he's saying that's inherent in what he's saying, and and like we said earlier, there, there's no getting away from cause and effect, right? If you do this, you continue to go to work, you're going to continue to pay, you know have a paycheck and support your family and all that kind of stuff. That's not necessarily seeking, but you if you attach to that outcome, if if um, you're going to work because I have to make more and I have to make more and I have to you know I have to have this and I have to have that. That can lead to suffering. But if you're going to work just because you're going to work, then there's no attachment to it, and you're, you're free. You know. You have to have more to have success to be successful to be happy. Why can't you be happy now? Well, you but what you're saying is to learn how to work with causality, to learn to flow with, to merge with causality, mm -hmm. not to make causality an issue. Right. right. Of course, you are going to work, and then at the end of the month this company will reward you, right. in a way, by giving you a paycheck. Right. There is that. Right. But that doesn't mean that you should identify with it and then get lost in, if I do this, and what kind, you know, I've, I've done a lot today or this month, and the reward is kind of, you know, yeah. not really what I should be getting. And then, what the hell with them? They don't understand, you know, right. and they don't respect me, and I'm not, they don't understand my true worth. Right. That's how we begin to suffer, not because you go to work and you get a paycheck yeah. because we make something out of it yeah. that does not exist in yeah. causality. Yes. There is no story in causality. Right. There's no me in causality. Right. When you attach a me into that, that's the problem. You're not free. So to not ignore causality is to not add a me to causality. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Meaning if you go to work and, and the other things in your life, you know, your family and everything, it depends on who you're serving. Or what you're serving, if you're serving self. Right. If if you are right, if you're doing what you're doing to, to benefit uh, an imagined entity, mm -hmm. then the imagined entity is bound to be upset if things don't go your way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, and happy if things do go your way, which is what he's saying. But seasons change. Sometimes things will go your way. Sometimes they will not go your way. Either way, you go this way, and everything goes your way. If you go the way reality goes, everything goes your way. Okay. If you step out of it, it doesn't. Go ahead. Getting back to practice, you expect some changes, right? Yeah. And changes happen, but if you expect if something you specific, that. something, uh, it maybe will not happen the way you expect it. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, about attachment okay. or clinging to specific expectations, but it's... Uh, it's not about like, nothing will happen, something will happen, changes mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. But it's, it's about what you expect or uh, attachment to the outcome. Right. If, if you add something to that, to the change, the change, if you can change with the changes, then you're not, you know, it's like riding waves, right? Mm -hmm. If you detach from the wave, you get smacked. Mm -hmm. But if you ride the wave, if you are completely in alignment, or Aikido, you know, when, when you are one with your partner on the mat, then there is a flow. 
when you detach from that, then of course you get smacked. Mm -hmm. Well, change happens with you and with the environment, so it's more about being yeah. together. And he speaks of, al of alignment. Mm -hmm. He speaks of merging with conditions. Right? That's the beginning of that. The fourth one, practicing the Dharma. The Dharma is the truth, is the truth that all natures are pure. By this truth, all appearances are empty. Defilement and attachment, subject and object, don't exist. The sutras say, the Dharma includes no being because it is free from the impurity of being. And the Dharma includes no self because it is free from the impurity of self. Those wise enough to believe, or to believe, right? maybe the word trust is, is better here because it's not a belief, it's more for trust. Uh, to, to trust and understand this truth are beyond our bounds, sorry, to practice in according with the Dharma, right? And since that which is real includes nothing worth begrudging, they give their body, life, and property in charity, without regret, and without the vanity of giver, gift, or recipient, and without bias or attachment. So, the triple emptiness, this is what he's talking about here, right? And, and we, we have uh, touched on that many times. Uh, in giving, no giver, no gift, and no receiver. So every, which again, you know, to, to look at it in terms of karma, right? How to function within uh, causation is every step is fulfilled by the step itself. It is realized as full, as complete. Which means if, if I realize that every step is complete, then I'm not waiting for anything else to happen. Right? It's not that I don't care if I get paid at the end of the month. It doesn't mean that. Of course, you need to get paid in order to keep going, but it means that you, that each step is, is fulfilled, right? It is not, it does not need the next step in order to verify itself, which means you don't need the next step in order to be verified. You're fully verified by that. Mm -hmm. Self-fulfilling. So, and the example, you know, the example of when you give a gift, even if you give a gift and then the person takes it through in the garbage, doesn't mean that the gift is not pure or the giving is not pure. Mm. It, doesn't make, it doesn't take away from your worth. Mm. It doesn't have that power unless you give it this power. Unless we don't understand how to work with causation, then that's how we feel. But if we understand that the freedom is inherent, then yeah, here, have, take it. Nothing gained, nothing lost. So you do what you have to do. You go into the work, you do your best, don't think about how merit you're gonna receive, mm -hmm. how much you're gonna receive. You have to do whatever you have to do the best that you can do. Mm -hmm. Don't think, oh if I'm gonna do much better, I'm gonna receive much more or less, and set yourself. It's the same way that he was have this conversation with the with the king. Emperor Wu. Exactly. He said, oh, I did this, I did that, what I'm going to get back, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. how holy I am, or what I'm going to receive in my... Nothing. Yeah. True. Good example. Mm -hmm. Right. Who are you? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. I mean, you know, and, and, and Emperor Wu actually did expect to receive some great merits out of his, you know, great actions. He, he helped uh, erect many uh, monasteries and uh, ordained many people and great you know now what do I get in return 
that's what you got. But we don't see that. We don't see our actions as fulfilled, self-fulfilling actions, or expression of that which is beyond the self. So it's, it's, it's tricky, it's difficult, because there's a pull. There's a constant pull by the imagined self to claim something, to claim some kind of ownership on the action, and then to expect some outcome. I'm the one who gave it to you. Can't you see that? Why are you not responding? Why, you know, I give you a hug, give me a hug back. Can we give a hug without being hugged? It's also with, uh, Can we love without being loved? Okay. It's also with, uh, with respect. Why, well, I'm going to do this, this, people going to respect me more. So you're doing this for something. Do this because you feel like, because this is the right way. Because you trust. But you know, even this, what we're doing here, you know, I mean, there are many people out there that think that this is silly. That, you know, it's not like you are actually, you, it's the other way around. What you're doing, maybe you'll think, you know, you're stupid. What are you doing here, seeing your butt doing nothing? Go have fun. Go do something fun. Right? And so, so, but it doesn't really matter because if you trust, you just trust and you know, you know. But it's also like def definition of fun. For me to knock my head on a wall, it's a fun. So I'm going to do it. People are going to look at you, you're crazy, what you're doing. But it's, it's the depend of, everybody have definition of something. Yeah. So it's, it's, <coughs> it's messy. Completely. Yeah, this is interesting because the, uh, it's a pretty much cultural difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I think Western culture tends to think that the uh, only in from outside that the uh, discussing that whether we are giving, but the uh, here we tend to forget that we are actually given by other people in the same way because we mm -hmm. surround many people. So yeah. we are giving, but we are also given by other people in the same way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was in in Japan's temple last week. But they, they, in Japan, they tend to think the opposite. Way to be more emphasized, more than what we giving. So they emphasize that uh, don't forget we are given by other people in the same way, mm. and that's how we can connect to the people. And that's once we get to the true face, then I think it's easier for us to understand everything's connected. So uh, I think so. Maybe mixing both in the right way. Then, yeah, you should also always give without any return, but also you know, shouldn't forget that the other people giving us still and you should appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Also, you I think you mentioned one time in our discussion about fairness, that it's not really something that exists, or at least did not exist right. in the Japanese culture, right? There's no sense, I mean, there's no... In, in, here in the West, we complain a lot about fairness. It's not fair, it's not fair. But I think you mentioned that this is something that people don't think this way, right? right. In Japan. Right. Right. There's no sense of... Yeah? yeah. And I think it's important to, to step away from that fairness loop in a way, you know, because that feeds the, the suffering, it feeds the illusion. Mm -hmm. Just to get out of fairness, there is no fairness. Oh, I discovered that. <laughs> the hard way. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> that's an angle. <laughs> I discovered that one. I was like, that's just not fair, but, you know, I got over it. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so and to eliminate impurity. So he says here that that uh, the Sutra said the Dharma includes no being because it is free from the impurity of being. The impurity of being. What what is the impurity of being? Just before we move on. Anybody? Delusion. Okay. Say it in Delusion. Other words. What I think is reality is not right. Okay. To the defile the Buddha. Being yeah. exists as separate from something else. That there is a way to talk about reality as existing discreetly as being or not, or, or even beings. Self and others. Okay. Also, also, what about the suffering we do create? The suffering we create in this world, right? The, the, the atrocities, you know, everything we create, right? The Dharma is free of that too. That is impure. We are creating impurities, right? It's not you know. It's not checking out. You, we, even there, even in that, the dharma is free. To live is to suffer. To live is also to create atrocities. To 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 act stupid, right? And to to hurt, to harm. I mean, we we're not. We know that. We cannot just sit here and then pretend it doesn't exist. You know, wherever we look, we see a lot of suffering that we create. So life is messy? Yes. That's the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> we begin and end with that. How's that? <laughs> Hopefully at the end we're okay with that. You know, we're not fighting it. But that's where I have the problem with emptiness. It does not seem to me the right word. Well, I think I think I think language. Language. Don't let language. Don't let language trap you. You gotta see beyond that. Yeah. It's it's emptiness is not what we think it is. It is not what we think it is. It's not void. It's not empty of love and and and, and joy and everything else we do. It's not empty of anything. It's just empty because nothing exists unto itself, period. Everything is interconnected. So when we look at karma, we look at karmically being, right? Everything is codependent, co-arising. Since everything is co-arising, everything is empty of separate existence. That's it. No more, no less than that. So let go of your uh, definition of emptiness and recognize unity. If you want to understand emptiness, you have to recognize unity. So, well, put that, aside the word. That's what I'm saying. When you say emptiness, there's a separation between this dual life and duality. There is no. Then, it seems that way. It does. It seems that way. But what you, what right now, your argument is not with this, it's with yourself. The, the, the conflict is, is here. Because there is no conflict. Because unity does not know that separation that you are uh, expressing now. No, she isn't true. You know, she might have something to say about that word. The, the Japanese word. translation? Yeah, I, I think the em emptiness is more like, emptiness versus delusion is more like a really something in your mind. Unchanged and changed. Mm -hmm. So the, all the delusion, I think, is Abhi. always changing. But the uh, truth, your true face is always the same, mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't change even over time. Mm. So, 
a lot of things change the emptiness and, and others like and something change and arm change is maybe easier to categorize. Mm -hmm. Although again, you don't want to go against the duality. We we just we just to know that language is limited. We have to know that language comes with connotations. Any word, any sound, anything will raise connotations in your mind. Fine, no problem. Don't worry about it. Just don't don't worry about. It. Don't believe it. Don't believe what you think about what this is saying. Or just think that the, don't use the word emptiness. The, the the Sanskrit word is called shunyata, right? So you can just substitute it with that. Right? Yeah. Because emptiness. Maybe this is another Works. thing. But how how do you define emptiness right now? Void. Okay. Exactly. So so that's a fundamentally different um, interpretation of what the word shunyata would mean. Mm -hmm. Right, the word shunyata basically means void of any inherent existence, which means that. So here's another way to think about it. Right? Um, it, it ties into an ancient um, sort of um, doctrine of co-arising. Nothing arises on its own. So think of a tree. Right, you say, okay, a tree is a tree, but the tree is not a tree without the soil without the rain, without the sun, without the seed. You need all of those different conditions together in exactly the right proportions for the tree to exist. If any one of those conditions are not there anymore, the tree doesn't exist anymore. Right? So it's this notion of a tree as is, right? the essence of a tree only exists because of its conditions. That's what's meant by the word shunyata. Shunyata. That it's only, it's you only exist because of various different things that have come together and are coming together in a very particular way. Without those things, you change. That's what's meant by shunyata. So, that, yeah, that's that's alone. Nothing. Yeah. And you're not alone either. I mean, you know, when, when NASA talks about the Big Bang Theory and the fact that everything came from nothing, Know, what was that nothing? You know, it's, it's something you just kind of have to. It's how, it's just just to wrap it up and move on. It, it's really how we. It, it's what is triggered in us when we hear certain things. But you know, more importantly, is ask who has a problem with this. Who is asking? This is much more important than the world. The world don't matter. Why is that a problem? I get it. I don't get. Why is that a problem? It makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Why is that a problem for me? What was what's that problem? Call it Joseph. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter how you call it. Don't call it anything. You know, the, the saying, you're here, therefore you're not here, or this is not the world, therefore it is called the world, is, is just telling you, don't worry about it. You're here because you're not here. That's it. You're here because of everything that you do not see. You are what you don't see. You are what you cannot think or fathom. You're that. Well, but I want to think about it. There's a problem. Let go. That's the letting go. Let go of wanting to figure it out. And then you're in alignment. We're not in alignment because we want to be in alignment. But, that's, but your practice, I mean, you're here to practice. And, and if you continue to just trust without trusting in any one thing, 
Let's uh, let's move on. I wanna I wanna we have a lot to try and go through. I don't think we will be able to. Do. Let's uh, what we're trying to do is actually mostly to stir the pot to bring things up. Right? We're not here to conclude. So remember that. But we wanna accentuate the practice, push it forward, push it deeper. So to eliminate impurity, they teach others, but without becoming attached to form. Thus, through their own practice, our practice, they are able to help others and glorify the way of enlightenment, not the self, the way of enlightenment. And as we charity, they also practice the other virtues. But while practicing the six virtues to eliminate delusion, they practice nothing at all. This is what is meant by practicing the Dharma. Right? So by practicing, we're not practicing anything. Because there is no separate existence that is there to practice, to wait for reward from the practice, to figure things out, or to understand. So it's rejecting nothing, actually. So it's, it's really rejecting nothing. It's all good, as is. In even what doesn't feel good or seem good. So, uh, I want to move on, but uh, could you see if, uh, if uh, Lauren... No, I need to... I wonder if she wants to say something to add to the discussion, being on Skype or FaceTime. I'm, I'm still here. I just have the, I just have the um, camera facing the ceiling. <laughs> Emptiness, see? <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> You graduated. Got it. So, uh, <laughs> did you want to say a few words? Um, I don't know. I've been... It's, it's just been interesting. Every time I felt like I... Like, oh, I get that, and then I hear another perspective. Or I hear... I don't know if I have anything to... Okay. Yeah, it does. Okay, so if you need to say something, please unmute yourself and just interrupt us. Okay. All right. So, bloodstream sermon. He begins by saying that everything that appears in the three realms comes from the mind. Hence, Buddhas of the past and future teach mind to mind without bothering about definitions. There you go. That's for you, Jack. All right. <laughs> That's for all of us. Right. But if they don't define it, if they don't define it, what do they mean by mind? Right? So you ask, that's your mind. I answer, that is my mind. If I had no mind, how could I answer? If you had no mind, how could you ask? That which asks is your mind. Through endless kalpas, kalpa is a very long time, through endless kalpas, without beginning, whatever you do, whatever you are, that's your real mind. That's your real Buddha. This mind is the Buddha. Says the same thing, right? This mind is the Buddha, says the same thing. Beyond this mind, you'll never find another Buddha. To search for enlightenment or nirvana, beyond this mind is impossible. The reality of your own self-nature, the absence of cause and effect, is what's meant by mind. Your mind is nirvana. You might think that you can find a Buddha or enlightenment, somewhere else, somewhere beyond the mind, but such a place does not exist. Trying to find the Buddha enlightenment is like trying to grab space. Space has a name but no form. 
right? Space is we call it something, mm -hmm. but what is it that we call it? Is it what we call it? We say space, but do we understand space by saying space? It means nothing. Anything. T take a bird. Then we talk. Take a bird. We call it a sparrow, like it cares. It's not a sparrow. I think we forget. It says it nothing about the sparrow, and we know nothing about the bird. But we think we do. Oh, it's a sparrow. Okay, let me move on to something else. Really? What is this? You just missed something. That's funny. Because you think you know what it is. That's how we get trapped. Look at it as if you've never seen it before, as if you don't know what it is. Because that's the truth. Because we don't know what it is. Right? It really is changing everything completely. That's why it's radical. That's why you don't see so many people practicing. That reminds me of a talk that you gave once, um, Atesha like, gave, uh, in which you said most of what we most of what we see is a memory. Yeah, you know, I we don't bother to look at it with yeah. your eyes. Yeah. 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 yeah somebody did research, and, and was, I was reading from that. Right. Yeah. So what, what we see is what we know, what we come in with. We see what we think about what we see. Yeah. Stop. Because our perception is so limited. Physical perception is so limited. Well, it's a little bit like that. Uh, what you share, right? The talk. Mm -hmm. I think I shared it with the two of you, right? And mm -hmm. I can share with everybody. You can email everybody. Um, that uh, what we see is an approximation of what's happening. <laughs> the best guess of what's happening, yeah. what's really happening, because that's all the mind can do. Mm -hmm. Did you see that? Okay. So, yeah, we'll have to share with everybody. So, space is no f has a name but no form. It's not something you can pick up or put down. And you certainly can't grab it. Beyond this mind, you'll never see a Buddha. The Buddha is a product of your mind. Why look for a Buddha beyond the mind? It's like uh, um, Rinzai saying you can't hammer a nail into an empty sky. I mean, you can't measure it, too. I mean, we put a ruler against the sky. It's like, oh, well, it's about five inches. It doesn't mean anything, but it's the same. I hold a ruler against the sky, and I think it's about this. But from the perspective that we, we are, we're looking, it does seem this way, right? So we, we are mostly convinced that we actually know what we're looking at. But I think it was good, the video you shot, it, it basically shows that, you know, we do it and explains, we do it so, so we can function, so we can survive. Otherwise, how are we going to survive, right? We have to create these seeming gaps. They're not real, but we have to create the gaps so we can function, right? You got to go to the store and pick up different things. You know, it's like, oh, it's all one. doesn't matter. Give me anything. No. Not going to work. <laughs> right? I mean, you have to be able to, to decipher, differentiate, but not be defined by differentiation. That's where the problems arise. So anything else about that before we move on? Okay, so I'm moving on to, uh, I don't know what page it is because I'm on an on a e-reader. Try to find it. Buddhas don't save Buddhas. If you use your mind to look for a Buddha, you won't see a Buddha. As long as you look for a Buddha somewhere else, you'll never see that your own mind is a Buddha. 
right? So searching is the antithesis of finding. If I say I am searching, I am saying I'm not there. That's not it yet. It's somewhere else. It's another person. It's another time, another place. Right? As long as we, this is why he said, you know, to seek is to suffer. Another teacher said to seek without seeking, and that's more like what we need to do, to seek without seeking. It doesn't mean we're not deepening, but while we are deepening, we are never a part of it, of what we are deepening. We never are separated, although we feel separated, lonely, detached. You won't see a Buddha. As long as you look for a Buddha somewhere else, you'll never see that your own mind is a Buddha. Don't use a Buddha to worship a Buddha. Right? And don't use the mind to invoke a Buddha. Buddhas don't recite sutras. Buddhas don't keep precepts. And Buddhas don't break precepts. Buddhas don't keep or break anything. Buddhas do not, don't do good or evil. To find a Buddha, you have to see your own nature, your true face, your original face. Whoever sees his nature is a Buddha. If you don't see your nature, invoking Buddhas, reciting sutras, making offerings, and keeping precepts is all useless. Now, let me ask you, what does that mean about practice? When we do this, we do all this reciting and right, lighting incense and invoking. What, what was he saying? Is he saying we shouldn't do it? It's inside or outside. Uh, if you're projecting outside only, you, you expect that something will come to you and will change everything, then you know you will suffer because it maybe will not and uh, we can recite. So how how should we recite in this case? Just genuinely. <laughs> well I could be genuinely searching, right? I could be genuinely yes, looking yes. for something. <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking at some it's projection to the future. Something will happen and, and things so we'll be present and So to seek present. for something is to reject something. Right? If I'm seeking for another, I'm rejecting this one here. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, this is not a Buddha. There is another which will come after I recite 10,000 times. Right? Or practice for, I don't know, 20 years. Right? So there is that notion. And later on, the Buddha will show up. Mm -hmm. Right? But what he's saying, don't use a Buddha to, to seek for a Buddha. Right? Go ahead. No, no go ahead. <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I'm still trying to understand. So it's about potential, right? <laughs> we have everything. I don't know. Practice. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I think he's saying by making offerings or setting sutras, it must be done in such a way as if those things are. Um, you know, not intended to do anything. There, there's a seamlessness about it, right? This is an expression of that true nature, and it's coming out as pure expression. Right. So, no practice to become, practice to express. It recite as an expression of Buddhahood, right? You may not feel it. You may not completely know. Okay, well, yeah, but maybe still, to sit... Dogen talked about that, right? You know, to, to sit for five minutes or for one minute is to practice realization. It's not the practice to practice of realization. The recitation of realization. Active all day, she does nothing. 
Right, to merge completely with. Wu Wei. To merge completely with. To become one with. Not to seek in the, what am I reading? What's going on here? How am I going to figure it out? You know, there is that in the background. So what? Let it be. Completely lose that. Lose the question. What is emptiness? Lose it. In, in, how, in reciting. Lose that. And then all there is is just a Buddha. There's nothing else. You want to say something? Say. I think, at least my mind. Yeah. <laughs> my mind says that we have a problem with our cultures. Because Buddhism comes from very, very strong one side of culture. Most of us come from very different culture. That our culture really, really need definition to say, okay, this is not a water, it's HO07. Mm-hmm. We need this profound understanding of definition. Here, it's completely against definition. There is no definition, there is no understanding, only receiving, accepting. For my culture, I think for my side culture, it's very difficult to understand it because behind the Buddhas there's no Buddhas because you are the Buddha. Now, if I'm going all around and I see Bodhidharma, the other teachers, they are Buddhas. In one sense, yes, they are Buddhas because they come to higher realization. But they are not Buddhas. But what he's saying, what he's saying so is that it's okay. Beyond what you think that they have realized that they did not realize, beyond that, you have to recognize that they and you are not are inseparable. You think that because they have transcended and reached this level of understanding, that they are more Buddhas than you, but that's not true. We only realize what we are, not what we're not. We're not creating something. We're not here to to create and put something together and then be really good at it. We're here to let go of thinking that you're not a Buddha. It's the thought that you're not that is preventing you from recognizing and, and experiencing. Because it's no definition. You don't need it. You're looking to find it. I went back to emptiness, right? And that's what I start with. For us, it's, we need this definition. Okay, we are right. like, we, without this, we, we, we are going But you're to saying the same thing okay. that he was saying earlier, and you have to let that go. Well, to we need the need, okay, partially, yes. Because when you are at work and you have definitions and you have, you know, you create things, right? And, uh, you know, the hardness level is not the same of different materials you use. You have to have that. It's not let it go and then do whatever. That would be stupid. So you do have definitions. How you use definitions, whether or not you identify with the definitions is, is the case, right? That's the question. Don't look for yourself, but don't, don't discard any of anything. You, have, you talk to the dentist with a language that you have to understand, right? You both have to understand. Not the patient, but you guys have to understand. He's asking you to make something, you have to go make it. He said, well, it's all empty. So what? You want your paycheck, go do that. Yeah, but we're talking about very, very spiritual realms. 
That is the spiritual realm. Making a tooth. This is what you have to get rid of. Thinking that there is a separation between what you read about and going to work in New York City. This is one of the few passages I highlighted out of the whole thing you just read. And even though I don't understand anything else, but Mm -hmm. this one kind of hit me because it could relate with my own background of Catholicism. If anyone's Catholic, I think Mm -hmm. you can relate to this because Mm -hmm. he's saying, don't look for it. It's here, right? Don't, mm-hmm. don't expect someone to be your Buddha or your God or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the Gospels, yeah. you know, or even the Jewish Bible, or some of the prophets come through and say, what are you looking for? The kingdom of God is before yeah. you. It's here now. There's no, don't waste your there's time. One, there's one truth. There's yeah. one truth. And, you know, when we recite, you know, I return to oneness, it's not my oneness. It's not the Buddhist oneness. Buddhism is not for Buddhists. This is another thing we have to get out of. Buddhism is not for those who believe. But for, for those who don't practice, it seems like, well, you guys got your own gods. Right? You pray to, you worship. No, we don't. But it seems that way, right? So to, to step out of it, to understand that what we're practicing has no borders, has no definitions, has no lines, has no separations. It's not one of many religions. It's not, essentially, because any, any essence, if you go to the origin of the religion, if you go to the origin of, religion means to put things together, right? To unite, to recognize unity. If you go to the origin, you see that the language may differ, but what the language is pointing at does not differ. And this is, this is what we have to practice. And that's how we have to practice, right? With an understanding that we're not, it's not a separation of anything. It's not segments. Well, look, speaking of language and definitions and everything, take Catholicism. Do you know, the majority of the Bible is, is probably not translated the correct way. It's all, it's all Western, it's all Palestinian Aramaic. Western Palestine. Aramaic. And, and that was, that was, there's full of, their, the, people were full of their hunger for power. So they changed it. So generally, everything in yourself, how you're receiving, how you're understanding, how you're accepting, how you're, everything is in you. And that's what may be showing us that we are the Buddha. And we were talking about Catalysm, I read something, and I hear something very, very important stuff, like when Jesus say uh, the, 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 the kingdom of God through me, actually it's not through me, in me. And now it's coming sense, yeah, in all of us, yeah. the, the, the kingdom of God is because he create us in his, they create us in their image, so there is a Godness in us. So whoa, this whoa, is the wait, 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 stay, stay right there, stop right there. Who is, who is they? Who is he? No, the, no from the description, uh, they create, us in their image and it's plural not i create by the way it's plural right now it's changed yeah so in our image it's mean in godness world we have this seed of godness the, the buddha of us if we're talking about buddhism so we have this so how we create 
our world understanding, exception, everything, it's us because we create it. Like the God create everything, let's say. Right. Wait with so, this. Wait. Let, let, let's see if it gets clarified. Try not to figure it out at this point. Keep it open. Let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see what goes with that. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know what page I'm on. It's page 30, but it's an e-reader. People nowadays who recite a few sutras or shastras and think it's the Dharma are fools. Unless you see your mind reciting so much prose is useless which again, you know, he's emphasizing don't do it for the sake of arriving somewhere else. Watch out. Be careful of how you do what you do. Don't expect something to come out of it. Express yourself through that. And allow it to deepen. It will deepen. Allow it to deepen. Right? And when you will be able to see more and more as you chant more, as you recite more. Um, I take issue with the fact that we even need to realize that we are Buddha, right? Like, Buddhas don't know they're Buddhas. The realization yeah. doesn't include that. Yeah, but, okay, so if, if that's the case, then what about, uh, what about delusion? What about what we call delusion? What about hatred? What about uh, atrocities that we create? that we, I mean, we can say, well, it's all okay. And essentially, on one level, on one perspective, it's true, it doesn't matter. Even this doesn't matter. Everything we do here doesn't matter. There is that. Because you don't have to realize the inherent in order to make the inherent real. It's real. Whether or not you realize it's real. The difference is when you do realize and you allow it to guide you in life, everything changes. Not that the essence changes. But the way you move and act will change greatly because you won't move the way fear makes you move, as Rumi said, right? That's what will change because you will be moved by the truth and not by the illusion. You see, you're right. There's no need to realize in order to... Well, it's another definition. It's another... It's reifying something that doesn't need to be singled out. I think that... That yeah. space that he's talking about, this is all leading to, it doesn't mm -hmm. end in me, you know, coming up with another idea. Oh, now I've got it. Like, this is, what I, this is what's happened. Oh, this thing has finally happened to me. And now here it is, right? Right. And you know what? Uh, let's take it to what O-sensei was talking about, you know, uh, Aikido. Learn and forget, learn and forget. It's true. O-sensei did not say you have to memorize all the techniques. So then you can, you know, match the, the movement or the attack with the right technique at the right time. He said, learn and forget. Let the technique become part of your body, your embodiment of that. And yes, but before you can forget, you have to learn. There is that. There is the deepening and the practice. And forget about it. As we say, any realization has to be let go of. Right? Have you washed your balls? Yes. Well, have, have you had breakfast? Yes. Yes. Now wash your balls. Why? Why? You realize something? Get rid of it. Because what you realize, if you don't let it go, will impede your practice, right? So what you're saying is true, but it's not in lieu of deepening in practice. No. It's true at the point of letting go of everything we realize and allowing it to manifest, embodying it, yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. We don't have to make anything, it's not making anything out of this, right? It's just Recognizing, well, I could just 
hang out, and it's practice without the pressure. Right? Does that work? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's simple and complicated. How's that? Both. If you don't see your nature and run around all day looking somewhere else, you'll never find the Buddha. The truth is, there is nothing to find. But to reach such an understanding, you need, and this is where it goes into practice, you need a teacher and you need to struggle to make yourself understand. Well, you know, the answer is... Uh, you, you need to struggle to make yourself understand. Life and death are important. Don't suffer them in vain. And don't suffer them in vain. Is, it doesn't mean don't suffer. It means allow suffering to free you of suffering. Right? There's no advantage in deceiving yourself. Right? So you need a teacher. He's saying you need a teacher. It's not just a teacher. You need a teacher. And, a, and, and um, the three treasures. You need to recognize Buddhahood. You need a teacher uh, as well and the teachings. And you need a Sangha to support that. Hence the three treasures. They are all treasures. If you don't find a teacher soon, you'll live this life in vain. It's true. You have Buddha nature. Right? It's true. This was Dogen's... Actually, this was... What led Dogen to go from uh, Japan to China? Right? That question, Taishi. Uh, if I'm a Buddha already, why do I have to do anything? I'm already a Buddha. I don't do anything, right? But it, so then he, it kept him going deeper. So he went to China and he studied there for five years. And then he realized, he went back. What you realize, eyes horizontal, nose is vertical. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> but you got to go to China to get. <laughs> five years. Right, but the, the, the point is, we, that's what he's saying, you have, to, you have to go through the challenges of practice, right? You have to look deeply to realize what's always been true. I know, it's erroneous, but it's true. So, and at the help of a teacher, you'll never know it. Only one person in a million becomes enlightened without the teacher's help. People who don't understand and think that, and I skipped a little bit, who don't understand and think that they can do so without study are not different from those deluded souls who can't tell white from black, falsely proclaiming the Buddha, Dharma, Buddhahood. Whoever sees his nature is a Buddha, whoever doesn't is a mortal. But if you can find your Buddha nature apart, apart from your mortal nature, where is it? Right? That, that's answering your question. Where is it, right? If you find the separation, we'll point at the separation. Where is the gap, right? Where is it? Our mortal nature is our Buddha nature. Beyond this nature, there is no Buddha. The Buddha is not. So basically what he's saying is using different language to say form, form is formlessness, formlessness is form. Form is no other than formlessness. Right? Anything to add to that? But suppose I don't see my nature, right? That's us. Suppose I don't see my nature. Can't I still attain enlightenment by invoking Buddhas, reciting the sutras, making offerings, observing precepts, practicing devotion, or doing good works? Where are no, you? No, you can't. I, that's <coughs> lost. <laughs> I am, uh, it's page 35. 17 in the books. Oh, okay, good, thank you. No, you can't. Why not? If you attain anything at all, it's conditional. It's karmic. Right? So, 
in, it results in retribution. It turns the wheel, the wheel of suffering, the wheel of samsara. And as long as you, you are subject to birth and death, you'll never attain enlightenment. To attain enlightenment, you have to see your nature. Unless you see your nature, unless you see your nature, which is a very essential point. This is not given from another. You have to see it for yourself, recognize it, experience it through practice. Through devotion to practice, not to a statue. Right? To practicing in this way. So unless you see that, to attain alignment is, you have to see your nature. Unless you see that, all this talk about cause and effect is nonsense. Buddhas don't practice nonsense. A Buddha is free of karma, free of cause and effect. To say he attained anything is to slander a Buddha. Right? What, could be, what could he possibly attain? You don't attain you. You don't become you. You can only be you. Even focusing on a mind, power and understanding, right? power and understanding, or a view is impossible for Buddha. Buddha isn't one-sided. It's one-sided. One-sided would be, it's there but not here, right? It's only in these actions but not in those actions. One is one. The one mind, the all-encompassing mind, is all-encompassing mind. It doesn't live work environment out or family environment out. It doesn't leave anything out. It's constant. Buddha isn't one-sided. The nature of his mind is basically empty, neither pure nor impure. He's free of practice and realization. He's free of cause and effect. The Buddha doesn't observe precepts. The Buddha doesn't do good or evil. Isn't energetic or lazy. This is actually, I just want to say something about that. Uh, the, the, I'll talk to you about that in Dokusan. The requirement is not that we're always giddy and, and cheerful and energetic and... No, just show up. However you feel. You're tired, show up. You feel energetic, show up. You feel depressed, show up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because in terms of Buddhahood, it doesn't matter. Here is a tired Buddha. Here is an energetic Buddha. What does it matter? It doesn't change the fact that we're practicing we still practice the same thing while the feelings vary, while the state of mind, while the body differs, as he says, right? The seasons change. To have a body is to suffer means you will feel exhausted at times. But what's it, what's it to do with practice? Nothing. What's it to do with Buddhahood? Nothing. It doesn't change. It doesn't mean anything about Buddhahood. It just means that you feel tired. So what? Not to disregard, but to recognize that that's how the Buddha shows up today. You know, sometimes people feel like, you know, I have to put a mask to show up. I have to be at my best to show up. Otherwise, you know, and we have cases like that. I am, I've screwed up. I have gone, I went against some precepts, so I can't show my face at the Sangha. I will say bullshit. Big one. Because if we do it this way, we don't understand. We don't understand what it means to practice. And we practice why I say it's conditional, it's karmic. We feed the same source of suffering over and over again, wanting to get out of it. Well, you want to get out of it? Show up. Covered with mud, show up. 
It's, it is simple. You're right. It is simple. But look how, how complicated we make it. Yeah. Right? You observe the changing, you observe the changes of conditions, right? And the seasons without being attached to the changes. So what you do is you unify your mind and from there you observe the changes. You look at the multiplicity from the unity. Right. Right? So then whatever happens doesn't trap you. It doesn't have the power to trap you. Because it's, it's of the same nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's what practice is, right? And he's saying... Uh, a Buddha's, a Buddha isn't a Buddha, don't think about Buddhas. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, you'll never know your own mind. So, yeah, how do we understand that? People who don't see their nature and imagine they can practice thoughtlessness all the time are liars and fools. They fall into endless space. They're like drunks. They can't tell good from evil. If you intend to cultivate such a practice, you have to see your nature before you can put an end to rational thought. Right? So to attain enlightenment without seeing your nature is impossible. Still others commit all sorts of uh, evil deeds, claiming karma doesn't exist. They erroneously maintain, uh, maintain that since everything is empty, committing evil isn't wrong. That's partial understanding, right? Such persons fall into hell of endless darkness, with no hope of release. 
those who wise hold no such conceptions. But if our everyday movement of state, whenever it occurs, is the mind, why don't we see that this mind, why don't we see this mind when a person's body dies? Where does it go? The mind is always present, you just don't see it. But the mind is present. If the mind is present, why can't I see it? Do you have a dream? Yes. Do you have a dream? Yes, of course. When you dream, is that you? Yes, it's me. And is that what you're doing? Is what you're doing, sorry. And saying is different from you. No, it isn't. Right. So what I want to do is, we're going to start to wind down now. <laughs> but uh, any thoughts about that? About, just about this last sentence? About this question and answer? Why would, he, why would he ask this question, Keiji? Do you have a dream? Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, but he's asking about where, he's asking um, where, is, where is there not a mind, right? Where, where is there, in what possible area could there not be a mind, right? So um, when you're awake, right, it's there. When you're asleep, it's, it's there. But it's something that's beyond either waking or sleeping, right? It's, he's trying to kind of, you know, basically ask, where is it, where is it not? Mm -hmm. right. In the dream or out of the dream? It's the right, same. you wake up from the dream and it's not invented. You go to sleep and it's not lost. Right. Right? So it's not in dreaming, it's not lost while you dream and it's not showing up. Right, right. Um, but, but then what happens in the dream is different, right? Right. The way we function in a dream, what we believe to be true in a dream is not really what's going on. Right. But we believe it to be true and we act on it, upon it. In our dream. Right. 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 Um, yeah, it reminds me of, of the, um, the analogy that you use sometimes of the film. Mm -hmm. Right, the frames of a film. Mm -hmm. Right, so each one is sort of independent, and yet we we connect them all right with this idea that there's something that's continuous that's mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. Right, but um, in this case, I think he's trying to shake that up a bit, right, and say no, there isn't any necessarily any continuity there. Right, there, there are different things. Well, this this continuity, but the continuity is not is not creating a, a, a separate existence. Right. That's what you're saying. Right. right? The continuity exactly. because right. of and and because of the continuity right. that we have a sense of continuity, we think well, there is me. Right. I wake up every morning. I see the same person in the mirror. Right. You know, there must be something there. Right. Right, and it's the same. Right. But it's not. Right? But what is the same is not what we see in a way, right? It's not what we think about the exactly. sameness of it. Right. Right? And that, that's where we get caught up. Right. Right. So, mm -hmm. okay, so we are going to have to uh, stop here and uh, then uh, pick up from here next time we meet and talk about it. And uh, we'll see how it goes. We may need to, after the three uh, sessions that we have, schedule another one, which is fine. We're not, uh, we're not limited by anything, so... If it means scheduling another meeting, it's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm.
right? You know, we have to make sure that we really uh, do our best to dive into it and to allow it to really deepen our practice. Right? It's not uh, enjoying some intellectualized gathering. It's not the point. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you.